My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We have a wonderful conversation for you today with Mina B. Um... And yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk all about um, her work in the mental health space, and we have a great conversation about boundaries, among other things. But before we get into that, um, we're going to just do our usual catch up as we do. Um, so, Erica, what's going on with you? What are you? What's enjoying? going on with me? I well, we have been really lucky where we've you know we get to receive different products from different brands and try some really cool things. And we both recently received products from a company called Guru Nanda. And I was really excited about this because we received um, a tongue scraper as well as um, some oral care for uh, oil pulling, Yeah, which is so cool. But I had been wanting a tongue scraper for so long and I was about to buy one before we were approached by this brand. And I love the Guru Nanda tongue scraper, but tongue scraping is really important because for anybody who is interested in gut health, um, digestion and the health of our gut really begins in our mouth. And some of the benefits of tongue scraping include like it removes bacteria, it improves our digestion. It can really help with uh, your breath and your overall health. And, um, it's a really important part too of Ayurveda and the founder of guru Nanda really, you know, strove to bring holistic and the transformational benefits of Ayurveda kind of to the world. And that's really, um, his mission. And it's, it's really, really cool. And it really stemmed from his own, health crisis um, when he first moved to the United States over two decades ago. So he has a really cool story. The brand is really cool. I love the tongue scraper and I'm excited because I've really wanted to try oil pulling. And in our recent episode with um, Sarah Platt Finger, she said that that was a big part of her self-care. And yeah, I'm really digging the products. It's like a coconut oil 
pulling mm-hmm. oil from Guru Nanda, um, coconut mint. Um, it's like a pre-brush mouthwash and you can start with as little as one minute a day and build up to 10 minutes a day for optimal results. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it because like I said, I had been wanting to tongue scrape for the benefits to our overall health, including our gut. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really enjoying the products and I really love it and I can't recommend it enough. And so I'm appreciative. They sent us some of their products to try. And if you want, you can check out guru Nanda products. The website is just guru Nanda.com and yeah, I'm enjoying it. What about you, Allie? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say I echo that and it's inspired me to get back into tongue pulling because I was doing it for a while, a tongue pulling, oil pulling. I was doing it for a while and I was tongue scraping and I kind of got out of the rhythm of it. So this, um, this new product is, is helping me get back into it. So, um, also we received, if we're kind of going through some of this stuff, some kiss my face product, which was so kind of fun to get. We got some great deodorants. They offer, um, you know, uh, kind of all natural deodorants and you, you and I are kind of like big experimenters in this space. We've, we've tried them all. Um, but kiss my face is one of the, like the way I think of it is like one of the OG natural brands. And it was kind of fun to see them again in my house. And, um, I remember it really just kind of brought me back to my childhood. I remember like getting their lotion, their body cream from the, um, it was back then it was like pre, pre, you know, supermarkets that had this stuff. You had to go to these like little crunchy, um, health food stores and, uh, but anyway, so even my husband was excited to see Kiss My Face. So um, I've been trying it. And again, their deodorants are aluminum-free. They they offer all different forms too, like stick or roll-on, depending what your preference is. So um, I've been enjoying having Kiss My Face back in back in my life. And I've been sharing it with my friends too. So um, so that's kind of my update on, you know, some of those fun goodies that we get to we get to really, this is like the, the benefit of the job, right? We, this is like a perk of the job. We get to try all these awesome, um, yeah. from companies we really appreciate and that are, uh, yeah, to, to do good in the world too. Absolutely. I was going to say like, we get to try a lot of products. We don't always share them on the podcast because we only want to share things that we love and enjoy. And so it is really cool when we get to try things that we love and enjoy and benefit our health. So yeah. And so before we get to this episode, because it's such a good one and we know you're going to really love all of the tips and tools that Mina shares with us, we just want to remind everyone it's like on the topic of products. This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey, and they are also such a great line of female. It's a female founded and funded brand out of Austin, Texas. They have wonderful spas in Los Angeles, Texas, and Chicago. And they offer an incredible line of hyper clean products from major brands, including Supergoop, Osea Malibu, Kula Sun Care, Moon Juice, and more. And so if you want to check them out and save 20% on products or spa services, you can visit Milk and Honey 
boutiques, milk and honey spas. All of the links are in our show notes. So check that out. Save 20%. And let us know if you try any of these products. Let us know what you're enjoying. Let us know if you want us to try something and review it in an intro. I love I love products and <laughs> I love finding <laughs> things. I love products, but I'm pretty loyal to the ones that I find. So yeah. again, that's why you kind of hear us talking about the same tried and true things. But yeah, it was kind of a fun week to try yeah. try some new things. Yes. And we have a wonderful episode, as I had mentioned earlier. So um, we should get into it. Yes, let's do it. So today on the podcast, we speak with Mina B. Mina is an author, writer, founder, speaker, therapist, and mental health educator with a master's degree in social work from New York University. With over 10 years of clinical experience and a passion for mental health and social justice, Mina teaches people how to cultivate self-care and self-advocacy through boundaries and community care. Her debut book, Owning Our Struggles, A Path to Healing and Finding Community in a Broken World, will be released this summer on August 22nd. Mina also sits on the Mental Health Advisory Committee for Selena Gomez's media company, Wondermind, and has been featured as an expert in a variety of publications and media sources such as Red Table Talk, Peace of Mind with Taraji, The Today Show, BBC, Essence, Bustle, and more. And based in New York City, Mina provides free mental health education on her Instagram account, where she also engages with her audience through weekly community check-ins. She's also the creator of Mindful with Mina, a newsletter on how to build healthy relationships through mindfulness. She teaches people how to cultivate self-care and self-advocacy through the lens of boundaries and community care. We have a really powerful conversation on boundaries and mental health offering a lot of tangible tools today. So we really hope you enjoy the conversation. This episode is brought to you by Ned. Let's talk about CBD. The CBD market feels really saturated these days, doesn't it? It seems like you can get it at any coffee shop or grocery store, and many CBD brands actually source their hemp from industrial hemp farms in China. The brand that we love, and more importantly, the brand that we trust is Ned. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world, and Erica and I only partner with brands that we ourselves use. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their website. Ned is also USDA certified organic with all products extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Peonia, Colorado. How is that for knowing exactly where your CBD comes from? We have both been longtime users of Ned. I rely on the full spectrum hemp oil to help with anxiety and the hormone balance blend has been a game changer as I transitioned off of birth control. And today we want to talk about Ned's new product, which has been in development for over a year, the de-stress blend. I've gone through two bottles since it's come out and I could not be more obsessed with the benefits and the effects. This one-to-one -one formula of CBD and CBG is made from the world's purest full spectrum hemp and check out these ingredients. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. Ashwagandha is an amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that 
enhances your body's resilience to stress. And the delicious taste of this blend is thanks to the botanical infusion of cardamom and cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, a key player in your mental health. And cardamom combats stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Also, Ned's quality speaks for itself. The products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole, who has been a two-time guest on this podcast. If you'd like to give Ned a try, Courageous Wellness listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code CWPODCAST. Visit helloned.com slash CWPODCAST to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com forward slash CWPODCAST to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. You can also find a link in our show notes. Thank you for joining us today, Mina. We are really looking forward to having this conversation with you. Um, And just to get us started, can you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe about your personal background and how it's led you into the work that you do now? Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, To tell people a little bit about who I am and what I do, I'm a writer, a speaker. I'm the author of a book called Owning Our Struggles, A Path to Healing and Finding Community in a Broken World. And I'm also the founder of Nina B Consulting, where I run a mental health consulting practice where I work with organizations to help them develop psychological safety. So to backtrack to talk about how I got to doing all the things I just mentioned that I do, um, I have my master's degree in social work. So my training is in social work and I went to school and studied the clinical track, which basically means it um, helped me pursue therapy. So what got me to becoming a therapist was pretty much my own mental health struggles as a child. Of course, when I was young, I did not know that some of the things I was dealing with was depression or anxiety. I didn't have language for it. I could really only identify the symptoms and say things like, you know, I'm experiencing gut imbalances and my stomach is always aching when I'm around certain people or in certain environments, or I feel very, I would call myself very emotional, not realizing that I was experiencing bouts of depression. So chronic crying, chronic sadness, um, And it wasn't until I was 22, so I was already actually starting my graduate program at that age when I started to go to therapy. And so in therapy, when I talked more about my childhood, that really helped me shape and understand some of the things I was dealing with. And because of those things that I dealt with, it really always made me interested in understanding why. From a very young age, I always wanted to know why do I feel the way I feel? And what sparked that question was more so because when I would talk to friends who um, I knew and shared with them the things I was dealing with, they could not relate. So it always made me curious, why me? Like, why is this happening to me and no one around me is experiencing the same thing? So that actually led me to be a little more introspective, to really dig deep into understanding why me. And that always just made me intrigued by human behavior, understanding psychology. That's when I started to understand those terms and what that meant. And that's what made me pursue social work. 
So um, after I graduated my graduate program, I was practicing for nine years, actually up until 2020, which is when I walked away from seeing clients one-on-one to shifting to corporate clients. And I started my mental health consulting practice. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's um, it's a powerful journey and story. And I think a lot of our listeners can probably relate, especially to feelings of anxiety and depression without the language as a child and then unpacking it as an adult. I know that was my experience as well. I you know, have struggled with anxiety probably since I was eight years old, but didn't realize it or have the language for it until I also started therapy in my mid to late 20s, right? So, um, and I would love, you know, you do so much work with mental health and self-care and boundaries. So maybe to begin, what was your first experiences personally with, right, you figuring out, right, okay, I have anxiety, I have these bouts of depression. Now, how do I start to care for that, right? Like, how did you start to kind of heal yourself or start the healing journey? I know it's a lifelong process, but how did the healing begin with you? And what were some of the tools you found that worked? Um, I think the first step to healing was when I decided to see a therapist. That was something that I had needed to do a long time before, but I was very hesitant. I was scared of the process. I didn't really know what to expect out of it. And the idea of speaking to a stranger, I had like a lot of the emotions that average person kind of has that makes them really hesitant to going to therapy. But I also knew I did not feel comfortable or safe talking to the people around me about the things that I was going through. So my mindset was, well, if I'm going to be afraid to see a therapist and I'm also choosing not to talk to the people around me, what is my next step? And I think I just had to realize I needed to just get out of my own way and give therapy a chance. And I think too, because I knew I wanted to get in the field of being a therapist, it was important for me to know what my client would feel like. I already knew those emotions I was carrying were the things my clients would feel like, but what would it look like to now nurture them when they're sitting on the couch in front of me, right? And I think the only way I would know to do that is if I sat on the couch myself. So um, I would say that my beginning process was really that first step to going to therapy and really using that as an outlet to talk about my emotions that were pent up for so long and also having a safe space. And that that, um, therapist that I saw, it ended up being a wonderful experience. So I lucked out that my first therapist was an amazing therapist that I was with for about three years. So um, I think that experience and just really being able to bring my full self to therapy and talk about my trauma, get language to understand what trauma was, that was helpful. I think I also had a different advantage compared to the average person as well, because I literally started therapy. I remember it was like around September or August of 2012. And then I started grad school. So I had the advantage where not only was I in therapy, I was literally starting grad graduate school for social work. So I was learning, I'm here I am in human behavior class, 
and Psych 101 and sociology and learning about environmental stressors and learning about different forms of trauma and learning about depression and different mental health diagnoses while in therapy. And here I am someone who also needs a lot of healing. So I think that was an advantage that I had that I was a student all throughout the whole process, not just in therapy, but in school. And that was giving me a lot of knowledge that I know the average person doesn't necessarily get, you know, and I think that those things really played a role in helping me manage my mental health. Mm, yeah, it makes sense. It's like a unique um, sort of combination that you got to experience at that time, both being uh, in in the room, in in the process, and also having that opportunity to deep dive study about it at the same time, um, which probably has led to a unique sort of perspective as also as a therapist, um, having been in, you know, clinical practice for nine years before branching out into your consulting. And there's two parts of your work that I, I find fascinating. I want to touch on and, um, I guess it's sort of up to you, which I'll, I'll kind of present them and you can choose where you want to go. But um, one one of the things is um, understanding a little bit about creating um, safe space in, in corporate culture <laughs> um, as a consultant, uh, a mental health consultant in creating sort of work environments. I find that to be really interesting because I think for so long, there have been so many um, really unhealthy dynamics, structural dynamics and systemic dynamics for sure. But then it's like, I guess the question in that is how do you go into spaces and evaluate and start a process of kind of seeing what might need to be tweaked and then like what that process even looks like. And then the other thing is that you create a lot of resources, original content on your social media for people to um, absorb. And I know that's helpful uh, for, for, many followers and people who kind of follow along and, and get the benefit of the resources that you create um, for free too to the followers on your Instagram account. And um, so I guess my question is how, how do you, in that, how do you, or how are you constantly sort of coming up with material or inspiration to create it's creative content, but it's also really helpful a helpful resource, I think, for people who might just be even starting to explore the idea of if they want to go into any more sort of structured therapeutic process. Um, so those are the two two things I'd love to just sort of introduce and how how you'd like to tackle them. I'd be really just fascinated to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, those are two really great questions. Um, so I'll start off with the workplace well-being question. And um, so mental, Mina B Consulting is, like I said, a mental health consulting agency where we help organizations develop psychological safety. And the way I do that is primarily through trainings, through workshops, as well as keynote facilitations within an organization. Um, what I do is I, when I'm working with my clients, really gauging with them the current climate within a company and doing a lot of internal investigation as well as internal understanding of the way companies structure 
their well-being programs, if they even have one, you know, because some some organizations don't. So it really is a case by case situation, but it really first starts off with getting a pulse of where they are, what they have, as well as what their needs are so that we can create solutions around them. The next step would be to get into that training work. So generally, I have a catalog of trainings that I teach from, but they're all customizable because I work with a variety of industries. So for example, some of the resources and tips that I give to an organization that's that's in the tech field might look different to um, education and working with teachers, you know, so the strategies might look a little different. So I'll tailor those things to meet the needs of my corporate clients. Um, I will say also we're a startup. So right now things are moving slower uh, than I would want until we are able to build the financial capital to go in and tackle more things like policy, procedure, programming, creating well-being structures. But right now there's a lot of success specifically around those trainings. And those trainings are really geared toward ICs as well as managers and members of C-suite level um, positions so that they can really be, one, understanding mental health and what it looks like, how it manifests in a workplace, how mental health issues as well as environmental stressors impact our ability to show up in the workplace. And what does it look like to create a psychologically safe environment where an employee can come to work and say, I'm really stressed out from, um, you know, some of the trauma that I've been seeing circulating on social media. I'm really stressed out from the fact that the world just shut down and I have to deal with my own personal issues and still perform work. How do we negotiate and come together and create solutions? But your employee should feel comfortable wanting to negotiate with you in the first place. Right. And so psychological safety is all about am I creating an environment where my where members of my organization can feel seen and they feel heard and they feel comfortable, comfortable saying things like I don't know or I have a different perspective or I have um, something that I would like to contribute or I feel a particular way about a certain thing, or even do I feel comfortable coming to my manager and saying, I'm struggling with anxiety right now, or I just went on leave and I came back and I'm dealing with postpartum depression. Is this a company culture that is allowing people to speak up and say those things without the fear of, are they gonna penalize me because I'm dealing with mental health issues, which is a totally natural thing. And companies need the language to understand what mental health is in the first place, because we can't condemn people for dealing with natural consequences of being human. So when you say to someone, your depression doesn't belong in the workplace, we're ostracizing people. And I think that when we, when I work with organizations, it's really helping them understand psychological safety in the context of what it fully means if we're asking people to bring their full selves. Are you prepared for them to have a seat at the table? Are you prepared to stand up and switch seats with them so that they can lead? You know, and so I think that that's the work that I do with these organizations. And I think that the more people are on board with seeing the humanity in others and understanding human behavior and understanding how life and societal stressors and personal stressors impact our work performance, 
we will have healthier work cultures. You know, I always work with organizations and I, uh, the term quiet quitting when it came up <laughs> recently over the last year, you know, one of the things I had to work with organizations to help them realize is your biggest competitor right now is purpose. People are starting to recognize purpose in their lives. And you as an employer cannot compete with someone who's recognized that they can find purpose and value in life detached from what they do for a living. For a really long time, we've been taught my job is my identity. And now with the world that we're in, the way the climate is going, I think more people are stepping into who they are and they're recognizing the fullness of who they are and they're finding purpose in life that is no longer connected to labor. And so if we want people to feel fulfilled, we have to honor and accept their job title is not all there is to who they are. They're expecting more. They're expecting respect. They're expecting safe communities. They're expecting a livable wage. They're expecting quality benefits because I can find purpose outside of this organization. I already found it. So how can you as an employer give me something that would say, you know what? I have this purpose and this passion and you are giving me something I find valuable. I think for a long, a long time, organizations felt like people had no choice. So they had to take what they got until they started to realize, well, now people are quietly quitting. People are erecting boundaries. People are not taking more than they used to. People are not going above and beyond because there's more purpose now. And they've identified what that purpose is. And it's not something that comes from work, right? And so I think um, to basically answer that first layer of your question, that is a big part of the work that I do when it comes to owning a mental health consulting practice, really getting people within organizations. Because we say companies and we say organizations, but it's people. People run these things, right? And so the people we report to, our managers, CEOs, all of these different chief level positions, we as people have to know how to interact with other people. And so when we develop the skills that we need to create psychological safety and healthy work environments, we are producing a healthier work culture. So that is what that uh, segment of my life looks like. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Wow. Thank you. I mean, this is such important work that you are doing. Like it is such important work. And I think especially because mental health for so long, it's interesting because we've done a few episodes too on like sober curiosity. And, um, you know, I think for so long, even in the sober communities, it's like it looked one way, right? Like you were an alcoholic who, you know, or it was at the bottle from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., right? Like you couldn't function without it. Or if you had mental health, that looked like you can't get out of bed or your institute, right? It's like it looked one way that I think was very extreme, which is why I think for so long, so many people didn't have language around their own anxiety and depression, um, at least for maybe millennials, you know, or and, and, and older. But now I think we're realizing certainly how much more nuanced, right? Like relationships with alcohol can be, or again, your mental health. And I think even myself, like I've always been a very high functioning person, which is why it was very easy to ignore 
my very real mental health struggles because it didn't look the way I thought anxiety or depression or whatever it was supposed to look. And um, I think in a lot of corporate work environments, you know, people are really suffering with these invisible illnesses, but they're showing up and their work, right? And so this is such important work you're doing. And I just thank you for it so much. And um, with the social media component that I know Ali touched on, I think what's so great, right, is you are offering too, through your platforms, like really very important, tangible information and tools to your audience and to your followers as well um, about like creating boundaries and taking care of yourself and prioritizing your mental health. And it can be really hard to do on an individual level. Um, Things are changing, but I think again, like things are changing, but it can, so when you're in it, it feels like, right. It's, it's hard. And I think a lot of the work you do as well with boundaries is really important, you know, and I'm sure that comes up for people in work with family, with friendships, with themselves and boundaries are really hard because, um, especially when you've lived, a life a certain way that doesn't serve you or serve your mental health, it's really hard to make change, you know, because the people in your environment are used to the way you had been living. So I'd love for you to touch on too. And I know, you know, you have, again, like such incredible work on social media that is done in such a a beautiful, expressive way, right? It's so digestible for, I feel like the audience, but I guess like what advice would you offer or how do you suggest people who are listening to all of this and be it in work or with family or um, with friendships or in their, in any situation, how can we really start prioritizing ourselves and creating healthy boundaries to support our mental health? Yeah, I think the starting process really often comes when you begin being extremely tired of self-neglecting. I think that's the first telltale sign that the options and the choices you're making are no longer in alignment with the desired life you want to live. And I think that when you start to realize you are exhausted from self-neglect, you are exhausted from overgiving, that is when you start to understand and identify, I need to do something differently. So I always encourage people to reflect on your life when it comes to your friendships, when it comes to your relationships, when it comes to your work relationship, ask yourself, what is something that I can do differently? And depending on those answers, you might start to realize, okay, this is where I need to start setting boundaries. This is where I need to really focus on pouring into myself. When it comes to work, what I need to start doing differently is asking for help. What I need to start doing differently is making requests. Is it okay if I get an extension on this deadline? Is it okay if I get another another set of helping hands on this project? Another thing that we do is we have to express our needs. So it makes me uncomfortable when you mispronounce my name. It makes me uncomfortable when you misgender me. It makes me uncomfortable when you speak over me in meetings. 
this is an example of I need to do something differently because I don't like how things are going. And when you ask yourself that, it also helps you to recognize the agency you have over your life. I think with boundaries, especially for people who are used to not having any, one of the things that happens is we are expecting people to change instead of us initiating and participating in the change-making process. So we say at work, I don't like that my boss is um, someone who hovers over me, hovers over me and is a micromanager, but I'm waiting for them to figure that out. And the reality is that's your boss's personality type. And until someone says to that boss, you know, you, you kind of over are a little overbearing at times, or it seems as if you don't trust your team. Sometimes somebody needs to bring to their awareness that what you're doing and the behaviors you're engaging in is making your employees feel a particular way. And that particular way could mean a lack of trust in a work environment, a lack of autonomy, because no adult wants to feel stifled and no adult wants to feel like a child, right? We already went through our childhood and we don't want to repeat that in adulthood. So I don't want my boss to feel like a parent, right? And that's already going to create tension and strife in our work relationship. But a lot of the time people don't have self-awareness. And when they've been one way for so long, they continue to be that way until someone decides to step in and says, hey, I want to talk to you about this particular issue. And I want to bring to your attention that you tend to do this thing and this is how it impacts your organization. And that might be a, a eye-opening moment for them. So even when I say, what are the things that I need to do differently and reflecting on that question, one of the things we also might have to do is be willing to speak up and be an active participant in that change because sometimes we recognize that in my work life and my friendships these are things i don't like things are things are these are things that are exhausting me but i'm just going to sit back and wait for them to notice and i'm going to sit back and wait for them to have a little more common sense and i'm going to sit back and wait for them to have more etiquette and the chances are that's not going to happen until they're called out or called in so I think for people who are new to this, the first step is identifying where in your life you may need to set a boundary. And you can know by examining, well, where, what areas in my life do I consistently feel exhausted? When it comes to my friendships, in what ways do I feel depleted? And maybe it's because I'm overgiving in my friendships and I need to take a step back and reinvest in myself. Or just let my friends know when I don't have the energetic capacity to be on a phone call or to listen to a particular issue. When I think of boundaries at work, what are the areas that I feel extremely overwhelmed? Where are the areas that I feel uh, drained? What are the areas that are actually playing a role in burnout? And I can set boundaries by, by speaking up and expressing to my managers and people on my team, this is the ways that I need support. But another side to boundaries, um, to answer your question, is reflecting on the ways you might need to have boundaries with yourself. When work from home orders started and I was being called in a lot to do trainings on how to set boundaries now that we're working remotely, one of the things that I had to share with a lot of my corporate clients in these trainings is recognizing your agency when it comes to you doing your work. Because one of the things that was coming up was, well, you know, this person is sending emails at 8 p.m. 
or they're sending emails at midnight. And is there now if I don't respond, this is going to happen. And this person is scheduling meetings on the time that I'm not available. And so the first question was, have you advocated for yourself? Have you spoken up and said, I don't check emails after eight o'clock? Right. Another thing is, are you expecting your organization to define your boundaries for you? There are people who thrive working at night. I can't define their boundary for them. And if the organization is saying, well, you work from home, you have leeway to do things the way you want in your home environment, as long as you're getting the job done. What we need to have, having agency says, I don't have to respond. Not having agency means throwing a tantrum and saying, you need to stop sending emails at 9 p.m. Because what we're doing is we're trying to control other people's boundaries. But that person who is sending emails at 9 p.m., they probably thrive at night. Also considering a lot of people are parenting while working now at home. And so now that a lot of things are out the way, they function better sending emails at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Having agency is saying, I don't have to respond to that. All right, I got an email. Another way of having agency over yourself is, oh, you know what? I just got a Slack notification. Let me remember to turn off my notifications when I'm done at work at 5 p.m. That is what having agency means. And I think that's another thing I encourage people to think about when they're trying to define what their boundaries are, because sometimes we get provoked by the things other people do. And we have to remember, we don't control them. So what are the ways that we can control ourselves and control how we respond? And using that example of work, I don't have to respond to the email. It's very clear there's a company policy that if you're not on the clock, you don't need to be working. So I need to manage the discomfort by being willing to put my foot down and say, I'm just not going to do this thing. And that's a boundary with myself. And that's what it looks like to have agency over your life. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey is a female founded and funded brand that began as a luxury day spa in Austin, Texas, and has since grown to include eight locations across Texas and Los Angeles, California, as well as a line of bath, body, and skincare products born from the spa. One of Milk and Honey's best-selling products is the natural deodorant, which is loved by Zoe Kravitz and was featured in her Vogue's Beauty Secrets video. I've been using the baking soda free version exclusively for over two, three years. This gentle aluminum free baking soda free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. It never gave me any itchy red bumps when I switched over and passed the smell test, even after an intense workout. It truly is the best and comes in two scents, lavender tea tree and lemon vanilla. In addition to clean deodorant, their online boutique also offers clean beauty products from top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, Supergoop, and more. Some favorite products of mine other than the deodorant include Milk and Honey's Gel Cleanser, Supergoop Glow Screen and SPF 40, which I now buy on their site, and Osea's Body Oil and Vegas Nerve Oil, which activates the body's relaxation response and helps regulate stress. Their spas are also lovely, and we are both big fans of their spa treatments. And we now offer discounts at both the online boutique and spa locations on all spa and med spa treatments. We are also thrilled to partner with Milk and Honey to offer a courageous wellness spa package called the Courageous Wellness Retreat 
at a discounted rate. The Courageous Wellness Retreat combines a 60-minute milk and honey signature massage, which is a Swedish massage tailored to your needs, focusing on relaxation and stress relief combined with body brushing, an exfoliating and detoxifying treatment that uses a natural bristle brush that you get to take home to stimulate your lymph and circulation while also reviving dull skin. Courageous Wellness listeners can enjoy 20% off your next order at milkandhoney.com and 20% off your first spa service at any Milk and Honey location with code CWPODCAST. Visit milkandhoneyspa.com to find a location near you. And if you want to try the Courageous Wellness Spa package offered at a special rate, use the code Courageous Wellness Retreat to redeem. This is not able to be combined with any other discount or promotion. You can also find all the information in our show notes. We are so excited to offer our listeners a new discount to one of the best probiotic supplements on the market, Seed. If you are a regular listener of the podcast, then you know that Ali and I are both very serious when it comes to the importance of gut health and building a thriving microbiome. I personally have been using seed for close to a year now and have noticed a big difference in my digestion and bloating. I am devoted to taking seed every single morning before food, and I'm really excited to share their daily symbiotic with our audience. The formulation of the daily symbiotic combines a probiotic and prebiotic is vegan and gluten-free and includes 24 clinically studied naturally occurring strains, not found in yogurt or fermented foods and beverages and lives up to the highest standards for human and planetary health. Yes. And in addition to being a really reliable probiotic and prebiotic supplement, Seed is committed to creating science-based education for all those that partner with them through accountable advertising at Seed University. This is where we are all committed to not spreading misinformation about health on the internet. Pretty important, right? Also, I personally love their commitment to sustainability with a refill system and all recyclable or biodegradable packaging materials. Erica and I only advertise products that we use and feel are of benefit to us and by extension could be of value to our community as well. If you would like to order Seed Daily Symbiotics to incorporate into your own gut health routine, go to seed.com and use the code COURAGEOUS15 at checkout for 15% off or click on the link in our show notes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I, I don't know. I feel like Erica and I have talked quite a bit about this, not just on the show, but um, we've, we've had some really interesting conversations like kind of over the years on the show, but not in a while. Um, but we've talked a lot about it as humans and friends with each other and the kind of evolution of our own set of sets of boundaries and even boundaries within the business partnership, within the friendship that we have as well. And um, learning some skills around it is so helpful because I think sometimes, you know, that old saying, it's like the people who I'm going to butcher it, but it's like basically people who react or have a hard time with you setting boundaries are the people who were benefiting from you not having them. But it's like when we set boundaries, um, 
I think sometimes maybe people are afraid to set them because of what the reaction of other people might be um, and dealing with that. And I don't know if it's like an avoidance tendency or conflict avoidance tendency or whatever it might be. But as you said, which I thought was interesting because I actually, I was like, oh, I've never used this language before, but the idea of self-neglect, because oftentimes we talk about self-sabotage or self-betrayal and those feel like really, like really big things. But I think in a subtle way, we can self-neglect and not even consciously be aware of it. And then the resentment can build up around it. So a, it just kind of shows me the importance of developing language to be able to identify it for ourselves. But then also, if anyone's listening and maybe is only just starting to really have courage to set boundaries in their life, and and we often talk about it doesn't have to be like a red boundary immediately. It can be like a green and then a yellow. And like you can, you, you know, it doesn't have to be, I don't know, I think people who... um Erica and I were making this observation about, I think, some of the generation of our parents where they weren't necessarily um, taught to have boundaries. I think especially people socialized as women. That's a generalization, but something we have see. And maybe are just coming into that, but then it's all of a sudden like, I'm resentful of a lifetime of not having set any boundaries and now I'm going to go like extreme. Um I guess my question is for anybody who might be feeling new or navigating the fear or kind of getting up the courage for the first time to set even small boundaries for themselves. Um, do you have any thoughts or supportive thoughts in if they get a response that they don't want or that feels... Um, accusatory or someone throws a tantrum or whatever the response might be. Do you have any sort of supportive ideas for how they can continue to cultivate the courage to set these boundaries for themselves? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the first thing to start with, start there around um, how people respond. Um, you know, one of the common things I tell people is we really can't control how people respond to our boundaries, but we can use their response as feedback regarding how we navigate our relationship together. So there are going to be people who respond by throwing a tantrum, by maybe going to the extreme, yelling, cursing, being very angry and upset, and though that doesn't feel good in the moment, one of the things I encourage is for some level of self-reflection to say, wow, look at how this person responded to me expressing a need. Is this a safe relationship? Sometimes we have to do the hard thing so the truth of who people are can be exposed. And to be very honest, when you are in an emotionally healthy relationship with someone who is emotionally mature, they may have a healthier response to your boundary. And so as much as I said, like, you know, you can't control that reaction and I do get it's scary and I do get that it can be very difficult, but I do encourage people to try to push past that feeling so that they can learn more about the relationship that they're in. 
And the only way to learn about it is to make requests and to express your needs and see how people respond to you. And when they do that, that right there is your indicator to know, do I move forward or do I make adjustments regarding this relationship? Or I might even decide to terminate it altogether. So I encourage people to not focus so much on the fear and the feeling, but focus on the feedback that I will get as a result of me expressing this boundary. And I think when you see it from that lens, you are recognizing that people are going to show you who they are. And when I get that information, I can now decide how to show up in this relationship. So it's very hard. I don't want to minimize how hard it is because I've been in experiences with people who are very threatening. And I've had to still erect that boundary because I knew that I still was not willing to go above and beyond for this threatening person. And so by me erecting that boundary, how they responded just helped me recognize This is the type of safety I need to set for myself. And this is the way that I need to navigate this relationship moving forward. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's so powerful. And you have a, um, you have a carousel that you recently, recently when we are recording, but I'll save it to share on our stories when this episode is released too. But you had this beautiful carousel about like, three things to reflect on when you feel hurt by someone's boundary that I thought was really um, beautiful, right? And you mentioned, am I taking this personally? Am I jumping to conclusions? Am I being entitled? And I think it's really good reflection. Like again, like the, the content you offer through your Instagram page as well, these beautiful free resources to your community. I think those are such important questions to ask too. Like, I love that you focus on that angle too, like things to reflect on when you do feel hurt by someone's boundary, because as you mentioned, like in an emotionally mature relationship dynamic, boundaries are really healthy, right? Like they are really healthy and they're supportive. And, um, it kind of leads into my question and it almost circles back to the beginning when you mentioned, right, when you started therapy and you were so fortunate because you were also in this program where you got to like learn everything that you were also exploring with your therapist. You know, I think sometimes, and I do this, right, where I'm very self-aware and I can really intellectualize my feelings as opposed to feeling them. And I've had to create so many boundaries in my life that are really healthy for the relationship dynamics, right? And actually are, you know, make the relationships much healthier as I am a recovering codependent, former codependent. But there is almost a sense of grief sometimes I've found to how that relationship changes, right? Like, you know, because you do, I think in codependent situations, you get esteem and there's a sense of closeness, even if it comes at your own um, self-betrayal or self-neglect, you know, and when you have boundaries, even though it's healthier and you're better for it, I've found that for me, there's been like a sense of sadness too that can go along with it at the, the necessary ways the relationship needs to change, but the changes that still come from it. And um, 
I guess I'm picking your brain because I often find myself intellectualizing my emotions, but I know in order to move through sadness, to move through grief, you have to feel them. So for anyone who does feel sadness at maybe changing relationship dynamics or at times, right, people have to end relationship dynamics too. What are tips you have for like getting in your body and actually feeling your feelings? Mm, You know, I think when I think of getting in your body, I really think of allowing my body to express for me how I'm feeling. So I am someone who, when I get very emotional, I'll cry. Um, It's to the point where I always let people know, like, you know, if I'm angry and I'm crying, you probably should stay away from me (laughs) because I am, that means I'm in rage mode. But my body recognizes that I'm in a state of rage. So it has the tools equipped to help me decompress which is why crying is very essential for me in my healing. Because if I don't cry, I might start throwing tantrums. I might start acting out. I might be the person causing harm now. So I think one, awareness with our body helps us to see that the body is equipped to help us in, and, and, and direct us when it comes to our healing. So the first thing I'll say to people is to be in tune with your body. If you feel like crying as an emotional reaction to dealing with something that's emotionally difficult, allow yourself to cry. Crying is not a form of weakness. The body cries for a reason. You know, our body does so many things that benefits on our heal- benefits us on our healing journey, and crying is one of those things. I also think body movement is extremely important because we do store stress and trauma in the body. And so when people are reflecting and thinking about the ways that they're stressed out, you might notice I feel like a lot of muscle aches or my chest is chronically tight or like right here by my shoulders and by my neck, I'm always tense. And that might be a sign that you need to move your body because all of the emotional things you're dealing with is being stored in certain parts of your body and you need to release it somatically. Another thing that I really encourage people to own and be okay with, because it's it's a word that you mentioned earlier, and that's that grief word. And I think one of the misconceptions many people have about healing and evolving is that we, if we're feeling happy, is an indicator that we're doing things the right way. And I think it's important to remember that grief is natural and there's no life hack. There is no quick fix when it comes to dealing with something that's painful. So instead of intellectualizing your feelings and saying, I feel sad and so I need to do the specific regimen to get the sadness out of me, sometimes you might just have to say, well, I feel sad right now and maybe I just need to sit in this sadness. And that's why I go back to, I feel sad and so maybe I need to cry for the next hour. Maybe I just need to disconnect from the world and I don't really want to be on the phone right now and I just need to sit on my couch and be sad. Like I just need to feel the weight of it because I have a valid reason to be in a state of grief right now. I just lost a romantic partnership or I just lost a friend or I'm having tension in my family because I erected this boundary. So things are going to be hard in life sometimes. And I think it's just important to remember that we can't life hack our way out of everything. 
we are a consumer focused society where we're always looking for quick fixes. We're always looking to see how can I buy this? We are eager for convenience because we're not patient. So I think we have to remember the he healing doesn't work like that. No matter how much we try to beat it into submission, healing is going to take its time with you and your body. And sometimes you have to be okay with that in that process. And so some of those are the things that I just really encourage. But the final thing was really being okay with grieving and not seeing it as a weakness, not seeing it as a flaw, not seeing it as a barrier, but just owning that this is a sign that I'm still human. And this is a sign that I am grieving something and by, by acknowledging it and owning it, I will be able to figure out what steps I need to take to get to the next side. You know, because a lot of us suppress our grief and we end up depressed and we end up anxious. And now we are in a state of learned helplessness instead of yeah. self-empowerment. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's true. And I think that's why these conversations are valuable because it's normalizing what are just what is also just part of the human experience, like grief and sadness. And Erica and I were talking about the movie Inside Out the other day where uh, the Disney movie or the Pixar movie where it's like actually joy can't fully be expressed without the presence of sadness. And it's like the whole time like trying to be like sadness go away, sadness go away. But in fact, um, it, it serves a real purpose to spoiler I alert. I was going to say, oh, well, alert. it's been out for a few, it's been out for a few years. So I think it is. But you know, like it's, it's really a sweet story because it really kind of just gets to the bottom of that part of being a human being. And sometimes all these other things that like you said, all the hacks, all the, like, I'm going to buy my self out of this feeling or I'm going to try to, you know, suppress it or whatever in whatever form it may take. It's like disconnects us from our own humanity, humanity. And I think that's when things get dangerous is when people disconnect from their own humanity. And so thank you for sharing that all. And I just wanted to say this other thing when I, you know, when I consume your content on mostly through your Instagram one of the things that recently came up for me, and actually my husband taught me this word not too long ago, but now I think about it all the time. I didn't know. I don't really think I knew what the word meant as of, you know, maybe six months ago, but it's the word sonder, which is the basically this awareness that every person that you might not know or meet, but like just see driving by you or walking by you has just as rich and as complex of an emotional life and an actual life as you do. And there was one, one post that you talked about with um, like, you're not the main character. You might be the main character in your own story, but like everybody's the main character in their own story. And that all these, everybody else that you come and you encounter has equally as rich of um, a life and an experience that is going on. And so it makes me think of the word, Sonder now, and I find myself experiencing that more when I'm just like out and about, like, what's that person's story, you know? And just because you don't know them or have connection to what their story might be, it doesn't mean they don't have an incredibly 
just as rich as the person next to them. Um, so I think, I don't know, there's some sort of like compassion building in that awareness, I think, at least that's been my experience. And I think through the, you know, the psychological safety and the mental health approach, I think a lot of your content also creates this sort of like community awareness that we're all in this together. Um, and I think that's also an important thing that can be lost, uh, definitely in the wellness space there's so, and in our culture in general, just like sort of this like individualism. Um, but that it's, it's a lot, we're a lot more connected than all of that. So, so thank you for sharing with us today. Um, and for the work that you do as well. Thank you. Yeah. And um, okay, so as we wrap up, we ask all of our guests three wrap-up questions. And the first one is, in your daily life, how do you take care of yourself? And do you have any um, self-care non-negotiables or practices you'd like to share with us? Yeah, so um, I feel like the main ways that I take care of myself is I try to spend less time on social media. Um, despite me being a content creator, um, I don't like to live my life on social media. So I am very um, mindful of how I allow technology to take up space and time in my life. Um, I would say one of my self-care non-negotiables is going to the gym. It is a requirement. <laughs> um, and that just helps me feel mentally, emotionally, and physically healthy. And that has played a huge role in me just caring for myself. And so that's something I don't think I could see myself giving up. Um, and journaling, that is another practice that helps me in the morning and that my morning routine is really sacred to me. I'm a morning person. So a lot of the things I do center my mornings. Um, but I think my journaling practice in the morning as well really helps me to be present. It helps me to be mindful. I actually use the five minute journal, which I love because um, it asks you guided questions. I used to be really big on like free writing and just writing multiple pages a day. And then I'm like, girl, you don't have an hour of time anymore to be journaling. So let's cut this down to five minutes. And that's where the five minute journal has been um, helpful. And it's been helpful because it allows me to reflect on the things that are going good. Because um, I think as people, it, we can be very prone to focus on what's not going right and what's what's difficult and what's hard. And sometimes that overshadows the things that are beautiful and deserve celebration. Yeah, I love that. What is, can you elaborate maybe on your morning routine a little bit? I'm always so curious into people's routine, especially when they have them. <laughs> <laughs> My morning routine is pretty simple. I'm normally up by 7 a.m. I am not in, I'm not a 5 a.m. early riser, <laughs> despite being a CEO and doing all the work that I do. I have yet to find a reason to wake up at 5 a.m. <laughs> Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm literally up at 7am and my day is pretty typical. I wake up, I get myself together, such as like shower, brushing my teeth, of course. Um, I walk my dog. I have a little dog. His name is Bentley. He's a Yorkie poodle. Um, I walk my dog and it's more so when I get back in the house, I always make sure to have a nourishing breakfast. Um, my breakfast routine is the, the old me, especially when it came to working from home, I would like flip open my laptop, start checking emails while eating. 
So I started to engage in mindful eating. And what that basically means is being intentional with the time that I spend with myself when I'm nourishing my body. Mm. So when I'm eating breakfast, I'm disconnected from my cell phone. I'm disconnected from my computer. And I'm using that as a time to just be present with myself. Um, And then I transition into my journaling practice. As I shared, it's only a five to 10 minute journaling practice. And then once I'm done with my journaling practice, I allow myself to be ready to take on work responsibilities. So it's a really short routine, you know, for people who are looking for something really simple in the morning that doesn't take a lot of time. Um, But those are the ways I'm very intentional with how I spend my morning. And I also try not to be on my phone. So my, my do not disturb setting is automatic so that it knows when to start and when to end. So that's also helpful too, because as soon as I wake up, my phone is still on do not disturb because Mm -hmm. I don't want to be disturbed. (laughs) Um, I'm really, I'm not one of those people who can text or be on phone calls as soon as I wake up. And I know there are some people who can be like that. So my do not disturb mode is on because I need to sit with myself for at least two hours before I engage with the world. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's so great. And you know, it's so funny. I just read um, recently, I think it was through the glucose goddess, which is a great blood sugar balancing resource on Instagram as well. She talked about how like mindful eating is so important because just that act alone, I think studies are now showing that that can impact your blood sugar, right? Just mindful eating. Um, So interesting. Just when you were saying, I was like, Ooh, so cool. I just read that this morning and I'm trying it more too. So thank you for sharing that. The next question we always ask is what does being courageous mean to you? Mm, Being courageous means being vulnerable. It means speaking up. Um, I have this phrase that I say to myself, you can't hide yourself and expect to be seen. So when I think of courage, I ask myself if I desire to be seen in this moment, in what ways am I standing in my own way and how am I hiding myself from the world? And courage means putting yourself out there. It means being seen. It means stepping out of the way, out of your own way. And when we cultivate courage, because it's something we cultivate, it doesn't just happen. We practice it. And that's how we get to a place where we can be courageous. And so for me, courage just simply means being seen, being heard, appearing and showing up. And when you do that, I feel like you start to live more in alignment with your truth. Yes, thank you. And then the final one is, in addition to your, I know you have a book coming out right at the end of 2022, I mean, 2022, 2023, um, which is, or like later this year in the summer, but um, which is very exciting. And we can also uh, reference it in the intro too, if anybody wants to kind of pre-order or anything like that. But um, do you have a book referral for our listeners that's just meant something to you along the way and it can truly be on anything? Mm, so honestly, my favorite writer is Ta-Nehisi Coates, and um, he has a book called Between the World and Me, and he is my writing inspiration, and I think that is a book that no matter where I move through this world, it's always on my heart, and it was the first thing that came to mind. So that is a particular book that I um, encourage people to read, to understand issues around race, around class, around what it means to fully be human in this society and some of the conversations people are having that some other groups of people may have the power and privilege not to have to reconcile with. 
and deal with. And I think that that is a book that really helps us to understand what community care looks like in a world full of tragedy. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah. So if anyone wants to find you, work with you, follow you, where is the best place to do all of that? Well, um, you can find me on my website, www.minab.com. And you can also find me on Instagram with M-I-N-A-A underscore B. That is my handle. And you can go on my website and learn more about me. You can pre-order my book, which is Owning Our Struggles, A Path to Healing and Finding Community in a Broken World. Pre-order is officially live. And so you can check anywhere books are sold, whether it be Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon, anywhere you prefer to order your books. It's available for pre-order and the live date is August 22nd, which is when the book will be released. Great. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.